0: All right. Welcome to everyone who is listening or tuning into this podcast today. We are lucky enough to be joined by Curtis Kennedy, who is the founder and CEO at Simbody Labs, formerly Vertiball. Just went through a rebrand, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, th- thank you for uh, having me on, Ryan, to everyone watching. Uh, the company wouldn't be where it is without uh, the help of Ryan and Power Media. They were a uh, instrumental part in getting the business off the ground. So very much respect the, uh, the insight and Information that comes out of this guy's mouth. So, um,
0: look at yeah. that, but, butter me up already. Well, then, thanks, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, buddy. I appreciate <laughs> that, and uh, appreciate you taking the time to jump on. I think uh, you know you you've had a quite the journey, um, and it's going to be really valuable for a lot of people who you know are uh, in a position that you mm-hmm. once were to to get some insights on what it's been like for you and all the the success that you've had as well. So, i um, really appreciate you taking the time and, and jumping on here. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, buddy. Um, got any plans for for Halloween yet?
1: <laughs> no plan. No plans for Halloween. It's. Uh, I think it's going to be a very last minute uh, preparation. Throw together a costume uh, when when the time comes and the work week is over. So we'll we'll see what happens.
0: You must have something tucked away in the closet for uh, that you can pull out, put together.
1: For sure. I'll get to, I'll get creative on it.
0: Right on buddy. Well, <laughs> listen, let's, uh, let's kick things off. And why don't you start by giving us um, just the backstory of, of Vertiball's interesting story um, and, and why, why you started the company in the first place.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Vertiball is uh, a precision massage device that uses this industrial grade uh, suction pad to lock onto the walls. Um, so it uh, gives users the ability to put it on the wall at a specific height, uh, target areas of their body with complete control over how much pressure they apply. So the idea uh, behind it sort of came from my uh, my life of having a really bad back uh, since I was 11 years old. I'd been rolling around on a golf ball on the ground after school every day. And uh, you know I couldn't believe that pinning a ball up against the wall or laying on top of it on the ground, I couldn't believe that that was the you know, the best solution that there was, considering back and muscle pain represent one of the world's most common health problems. So um, when I got to university, I was studying mechanical engineering. And uh, I knew that I wanted to start a, a business while I was going to school figured it would be a good time, low risk. And if it fails, uh, while I'm, you know, doing my extra extracurriculars um, after school, then it's, it's not at a loss of time for me. Instead, it, like if I were to uh, I guess start a business straight out of school so I went for it and uh, it was a lot of iterations a lot of uh, interesting lessons uh, but uh, eventually we we got the product manufactured and uh, brought it to market so it's been it's been quite the the interesting journey so far and I guess uh, just to give a little bit of context uh, about uh, the system in it functionality so uh, we designed it with the ability to have interchangeable attachments so you lock it into the mounting system like that once it's placed on the wall and then um uh, so the this newest attachment which we came out with uh last week uh so it just has a different purpose it uh, caters to specific muscle groups better and our our long-term goal for this first product segment is to develop a wide range of products that uh, make back and muscle pain um you know thing in
0: the past so yeah amazing man and uh yeah let me tell you for anyone listening this thing feels good we've uh as curtis mentioned we've we've had the uh the pleasure of of working alongside of uh vertiball somebody uh over the last couple years and uh, we have you know we've been shooting a lot of content in the past as well and and so we got these things kicking around the office i got them around my house and uh you know as someone who doesn't actually experience back pain um You know, it's, it's kind of, kind of funny how much I use it, but this thing is, uh, is amazing. And um, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, obviously, you know, this, this product was made by you to solve a problem that you currently had. And I think that that's something that, um, I I think it's something that, that gives people an advantage opposed to people that are just jumping into a business for the sake of starting a business, because it's, Mm -hmm. it can be, it can be hard to, it's competitive, right? The e-commerce landscape is very competitive, And, uh, and so I I certainly think that, you know, it's, it's more work, no question to, you know, take an idea and bring a product to life, but uh, it allows you to, you know, position yourself as, as, uh, or at least be first to market with a solution um, and really, really help position you well. And we'll jump into that later, but I remember Kurt, um, I guess for anyone listening to a little context here, Curtis and I both went to the same university, we both took engineering And so we had some overlapping friend groups. And I remember being over at Curtis's place and having a couple pops and and seeing a 3D printer going to work (laughs) running on one of the first uh first iterations of this thing. It's hilarious, man. Seeing the the basement of your guys' place, just pretty much a little production facility. uh,
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for
0: sure. Yeah, man. Um, cool. So I guess like when when you started working on this was, was the plan always to turn it into a business or at first, was it just something that you wanted for yourself?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually I, so I knew that I, I wanted to start a business while I was going to school. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but uh, this wasn't the, the first product that uh, I had took a stab at. So uh, right after my first year university, I, um, <laughs> I actually came up with this idea for an oral hygiene product. And at that point in time, I had no idea about, you know, how to start a business or what, what first things you do are. And so I sort of thought to myself, I was like, Oh, I get this awesome product idea. What, what's, what do I have to do? And I was like, Oh, I should learn to write patents. So <laughs> I, took, <laughs> I, I took the summer and uh, wrote a provisional patent application for this oral hygiene product and, and filed it. Um, and just for anyone who's listening, that is not the approach to starting a business. Uh, patent, <laughs> patent comes way, way uh, down the road after you know, you've you validated uh, that customers actually want this product and that you're going to be able to sell it, make money. And uh, furthermore, you've reached the final design before you, you try to uh, develop any intellectual property. So um, that was sort of Uh, I had that going and I got feedback from a few people (laughs) when I got back to school the next year. And, uh, it was sort of like ho-hum, uh, responses to like, ah, this is, uh, this is kind of cool, but like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people thought it was a stupid idea. No one told me. Um, so anyway, I had that on the back burner, but at the same time, uh, you know, I started to think, you know, what are my own biggest personal problems? Because it's likely that, um, I will find the best solution if, if it's a a big problem of mine, if I'm trying to solve somebody else's problem, you you think about it in a different way. And so um, I, I sort of, you know, on a daily basis, you know, back in muscle pain. So I was like, you know, but there's going to be a better way to do this. And started exploring a whole bunch of different ideas and eventually landed on um, the, the mobile mounting system concept and uh, just sort of, uh, sort of went from there.
0: Yeah, man, I love that. And again, I, I think it's it's something that, you know, obviously, like, not all products, like, there's there's exceptions for sure, but a lot of, you know, consumer products, um, a lot of them are solving pain points, right? Whether it's directly solving a problem, indirectly solving a po- like a psychological problem, if it's confidence, right? Um, or, or things like that. But when, and I agree with you, I think when you solve a problem that you actually have, that um, it, it, I, I definitely think it, it, it. you think of things in a unique way, you think of things, you know, you actually have that problem. And so I think it helps on actually making a product that is going to solve the problem better than anyone else. And I don't think that you necessarily need to have a brand new product in its own category. Um, but if you can do if you can do something better, more efficiently, save people time, save people money, mm. um, or, or just you know convenience, you're going to be in a much better position to uh, t- to market that. And within the world we live in, obviously e-commerce is booming right now, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it, it's very hard to compete on price, and because obviously you have Amazon one click away with the biggest selection of Products, prices, and when you when you're selling something that does just as good as as the next competitor, it's very hard to price it, you know, at a, at a premium price point, and then you get into a price price competition, which it's it's a very hard game to win. And so I I yeah. love that uh, you know I love that I, I actually didn't know about the oral oral care uh, <laughs> idea either. Um, yeah,
1: I, I won't. Uh, I won't embarrass myself by pitching it to the audience. But,
0: um, but yeah, <laughs>
1: so just to add to your point, and sort of a, a useful piece of information that's sort of helped me think about uh, product design and coming up with a, a, a new solution is um, I got exposed to uh, content that Elon Musk uh, was pushing out about eight years ago, and I, I really fell in love with the guy and just the way he thought about things. And there's one concept in particular that. He, he spoke of, uh, it's called First Principle Design Thinking. Um, it's, uh, so there's two ways to think about solving a problem. You can uh, think analogously where uh, you look at the existing solutions and see how you can make improvements to those solutions. Or you can um, think about, uh, you know, explore in terms of first principles where you boil the problem down to its fundamental truths Um, Not considering the what's already been made, you boil it down and then build outwards from there, and uh, it's likely that you'll come up with something uh, novel that takes a different approach and may, in fact, solve the problem better than you know the industry that's been built around the same sorts of innovation. So,
0: yeah, hundred percent. No, and I love that. I actually remember uh, watching a video where Elon was talking about this too, and when it was he was talking about I think this was about the electric batteries, if I'm not Mm -hmm. mistaken talking mm-hmm. about how people were saying it's impossible because electric batteries are batteries are just too expensive to make an electric car mm-hmm. and said well that's not true like battery already manufactured batteries are but if mm-hmm. we could source the, the materials at, the raw materials at a discounted cost in bulk then we're looking at a whole different ballgame here and mm-hmm. uh, I, I definitely think it, I agree it's a powerful uh, powerful, Way of thinking and love that you've adopted that. Um, I want to. So, you talked about the patents and how you filed the patent for the oral care. You learned oh, how to write sure. patents. And so, obviously, Vertiball um, now Simbody has patents. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that that's a skill that um, that is worth learning on your own once you have a product, a final design, a product that you're ready to take to market? Or do you think that that's something that you're you can be easily outsourced?
1: Yeah, um, it's you know it's good to have a general understanding of how intellectual property works and you know being savvy in it so you can navigate um, you know conversations uh, around your your IP. But uh, absolutely, you know you don't you don't need to learn to write patents, and I would recommend that you don't um, because there's people that have been uh, working for their whole lives uh, and that's the primary focus. And a patent is only as valuable uh, as the, the words that were written to uh, establish it. So if you if you have a patent, but it's not strong patent, then there's there's no point of it. So if that's uh, an avenue that you're going to pursue, definitely try to work with uh, talented people that know what they're doing. Love it.
0: Talking about the product development process, um, I think there's a lot of people. I remember, you know, there's there's people commenting on the ads all the time, saying, "I, you guys stole this idea from me." I had this idea five years ago. I, had, you know, whether it's trolls <laughs> or people that actually did have the idea, there's a lot of people with a lot of ideas, a lot of good ideas, and mm-hmm. it can seem overwhelming to th- actually think about taking one of those ideas and making it become a reality. And I think you know, it's whether it's something that is you know, you just have that itch inside of you already, that entrepreneurial itch, or if it's something that can be learned and um, kind of developed over time, I certainly think it is. But what would you like, where does someone start when it comes Mm -hmm. to uh, taking an idea and actually looking at bringing that thing into into the real world? And I mean, obviously, you have a mechanical engineering background. And I think, you know, there's there's certain advantages there with just the ability to even know how to make a 3d printer work which I certainly don't um, <laughs> but but touch on that I think a you got to
1: give yourself, yeah give yourself some credit and uh, I guess the, th- <laughs> the thing I'll say is you don't and I'm talking uh, specific to uh, hardware like physical products um, s- software um, you know what else I'll say here I guess some things will apply but it's it's more uh, specific to physical products and you don't need any prior knowledge to get started on it. Like if you if you have a product idea, start with a sketch on paper. Um, you know, put together an idea of what you think it will look like, and then there's so many tools in this day and age that that make uh, you know something like this really easy. And the two all you need is access to a 3D printer and a 3D modeling software, which. Um, the one I would recommend to anyone uh listening, if you don't already have a, a go-to, is uh, Fusion 360. Uh, it's an autodesk program. And you know, if you take a week and a half, two weeks and fool around on the, the program, um you'll know exactly how to how to make your thing. Um it may not the curves and the aesthetics of it may not turn out uh like you'd had imagined in the in the perfect reality but uh in terms of like the the core functionality um those those programs are really user-friendly and you do not need to have any uh engineering background you just have to have a general sense of uh you know geometry like uh circles lines squares and rectangles because basically you start out sketching on a two-dimensional plane and then you use tools to pull those sketches into uh, a three-dimensional object so uh, you know anybody can learn 3D modeling quite easily and then uh, 3D printing is very accessible too you can buy a 3D printer for $200 and uh, you know you export
0: your designs really? you, you oh
1: yeah yeah there's, and uh, there's I, some I was
0: really... thinking they're like
1: 10k no no so I guess that that's you know a different conversation it depends <laughs> uh, you know if you're looking for really high tolerance which at this point in time where we we're, we're at that's sort of where we're headed but um you know i i just started with a very base model 3d printer and uh you know it's uh it, it got the job done so um it's i'd say start there if you've got an idea do some drawings uh get a 3d modeling software and get access to a 3d printer and just go ham at it and you'll get better and better with time and your designs and your prototypes will get better and better with time as
0: well amazing cool so i mean what's like in your experience, so you have a product, you know, that you made on a 3D printer and you are like, Hey, I want to move forward and manufacture mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. What, where in, in your, you know, in, in your journey, where, where did you, what was your next steps there? Did you go look for manufacturers straight away? Did you, uh, look, did you, you know, look for people that had experience locally to go uh, overseas and look for manufacturing and, uh, and yeah. How, how did, how do you go about that?
1: Mm-hmm. So I guess uh, the thing to consider along your prototyping journey is that there there's two sides of the coin. There's you know you develop a product, but you also need to have the money to finance the the manufacturing for that product. And so I was uh, you know I was 21 years old at the time uh, trying to figure out how I'm gonna you know get together four hundred thousand dollars or something like that and uh, that seems like a lot of money at the time for a young kid that's got a $2,000, uh, Nissan. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I started out by going to banks to ask for money and, you know, I'd instantly get the doors uh, slammed on my face because uh, they don't want to use my $2,000 Nissan as an asset that can be leveraged. So, um, Oh man,
0: Nissan's a good car.
1: It is a great, it is a great car. Nothing to say about me wrong to say about Nissan for sure. Um, but, uh, just that's always one thing to consider is, you know, as you're designing the product um, you need to understand what it's going to cost you to make it. So while I was, you know, I was probably version two of my product, uh, which ended up turning into 220 different iterations note, you don't have to iterate that much. I just got like really fixated on trying to make it perfect. Um, But at version two, I reached out to, uh, you know, different manufacturers on Alibaba. Like I found, A manufacturer that made springs. I made a manufacturer that made suction cups. I made, I found, you know, a variety of different manufacturers and I put together these RFQ or request for quote documents where you say, yo, here's my 3D file. Um, Could you give me a quote for uh, like a part cost for an order of uh, 5,000, an order of 10,000, and an order of 20,000? And you say those three volumes because Uh, you want to understand volume pricing and as it changes with with time and as on the manufacturing side they want to see that you're thinking bigger you're thinking beyond that first 5,000 unit order and so that's one thing once you understand okay here's what my parts are going to cost to be manufactured um, the other side of it is um, what is it going to cost to invest in the plastic injection mold to produce these parts so um that's where a big expense out of the gate comes in because uh, plastic injection molds, you know, can run anywhere from, depending on the complexity of part, can be anything from 3000 to $35,000 per mold. So, um, you know, I guess the, well, as you're designing, just make sure to check in on the manufacturing cost, uh, And you can do that through going through Alibaba and um, that'll sort of give you a frame of reference as you're moving forward. Uh, Because you'll know what the product is going to cost to make. Can I sell it at a price that is going to make sense to the customer and still make me money? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, if your product is too expensive to produce and uh, customers aren't willing to pay for what you need to sustain business, then there's no sense in doing it. So uh, as much as as the functionality is important, it's also important to understand the business model as
0: you go along. 100% couldn't agree more and I think a lot of people get themselves into a little bit of trouble when it comes to this because maybe there's a product that makes complete sense to market retail but the plan is to go direct to consumer right like Mm -hmm. you know maybe you're shipping liquids or Mm -hmm. things that are really heavy Um, Mm -hmm. and and the numbers have to make sense right and Mm -hmm. and, you know it's got to make it's got to make sense at scale, at volume, and keeping in mind, too, that there's going to be an acquisition cost associated with driving customers into your business if that's the avenue that you want to go, right? And obviously, with paid ads, you can move a lot faster. But um, but yeah, I mean, like like you said, the the numbers need to make sense. And was there anything that you, like, what, from the original quotes you got, were you able to negotiate lower costs over time? And was there any, any specific strategies that worked good for you?
1: Um, so I sort of had a very, very scrambling approach to figuring out manufacturing. Um, originally my plan was, uh, I want to make the product in Canada, um, at a manufacturing facility that I can drive to. And, uh, so that was the plan for the, the whole way. I had a sense of cost from speaking with, uh, manufacturers in, in China and what like my, my source components were going to cost, but I just, uh the whole way through the plan was due in Canada. And when it got down to the nitty gritty and we were ready to go and our molds were about to be done, um, it turned out that it was going to be far too expensive to make it in China. Like you got to consider the fact, so say you're just uh, theoretically, um, if you're trying to sell a product for $35 and then you get, you have a manufacturing cost of uh, $15, then it's like, say you wanted to sell the brick and mortar retail stores. Okay. So then you, you know, you wholesale price it to them. Usually the standard is like you double your manufacturing cost. And so then you're at $30, but the retailer wants to market up 50% or hundred percent as well. So they want to double that and uh, get their return too. So then all of a sudden your, your cost on the shelf is $60, but uh, that was beyond your originally planned selling price. And you know, if you can't sell the product, you can't do it. And so that's what happened uh, with us last minute uh, when we got our costs in Canada, it was just going to be too expensive to sell the product at the price we thought it was, it was going to be reasonable. And, and so I hopped on a plane out to China and uh, did about two and a half weeks of touring around, knocking on doors and trying to scramble and uh, figure out meetings last minute. Um, so very lucky that it, uh, it all ended up working out in the end. It was uh, quite the, quite the journey.
0: Yeah. You've taken a few trips to China Avenue.
1: Yeah. I, the, the first year, okay. um, the first year we, of manufacturing, uh, over there, I, it was five, it was five trips in one calendar year Four specifically, um, four of them were specifically for manufacturing.
0: Yeah. Crazy. I heard it's, yeah. it's awesome over there. It's uh,
1: it's, it's quite awesome. Uh, different world completely. Absolutely. <laughs> so absolutely. Love it. Love the mentality of, uh, productivity and uh, doing really great work um, yeah there's highly skilled people over there um, it's just about uh, it's just about finding them and, and getting in, in the right place
0: right on um, talking on kind of branding positioning pricing while we're on the topic um, when you first were launching Vertiball, was the was the current price point relatively close like it was it the same as where's that today and and how how did you look at pricing it? Um, was there any like kind of reference points that you used, or was mm-hmm. it was it more of a, a trial and error? Like I remember there was a little bit of trial and error originally when we launched, moving the price mm-hmm. around a little bit. Um, but when you initially took it to market, where were where was your head at there?
1: Mm-hmm. So um, I had spent a long time developing the product without. Um, Really considering the long term economics of it, Uh, and so you know, thankfully it worked out. But for anyone starting uh, a company, um, there's this concept of economies of scale. So, um, so ideally, you know, when you have you don't have a lot of money, you sell a high priced good in low quantity, low quantities. Um, and then with time, you then have like a medium price good at medium quantities and then a low, low price good at very high quantities. It's sort of like what Tesla has done with their vehicles. They started with the Roadster um, and then they went to the, uh, the midsize sedan. And now they're, they're at the Model 3, which is the affordable vehicle to the masses. Um, and just in terms of uh, your financial situation as a company with very limited resources out of the gate. Um, if you can find a way to sell uh, you know 200 things at uh, you know $600, uh, it's going to be a lot easier to grow and scale than if you're trying to um, sell a $15 item in really high volumes. Um, so when you're when you're thinking about uh, where you're going to price this thing, uh, strongly really consider to think about you know would the product, uh, benefit from additional features that would bring up the perceived value like could we add some electronics to it um that would you know all of a sudden when there's electronics out of the things it's like a different story than just like a uh, a mechanically functioning uh product
0: like AI. Um, so throw, throw an eye in your name and uh you're good to go
1: <laughs> yeah or, or it's like uh for you know we we just made a manual massager but uh had we thrown like a uh, vibration element to it, our, our pricing conversation wouldn't be, you know, 40, 50, $60, it would be, uh, you know, 150, $200. So Mm -hmm. those are, those are things to consider because if starting out the higher, you can price your thing, uh, the lower volumes you can do, the better, the quickly you're going to be able to move forward into that next phase of, you know, bringing up volumes and potentially looking at different, different product lines. Um, so I, uh, the, I guess another thing to note, which is an important piece of insight that I got from a, a podcast with Jason, or James Dyson on it. Um, James Dyson, his first product ever was called the Ball Barrow. It was a wheelbarrow that had a ball on the front of it. And um, it was this new innovative technology and it was awesome. And it got brought into stores and uh, it didn't perform well because the mistake that he made was he had this new innovative technology, but he priced it... Um, like competitive to other products that um, weren't comparable. They didn't have the innovativeness of uh, James Dyson's product. And so he made it his mission from that point forward. Um, if I come up with an innovative technology or solution, I'm going to price it accordingly because the, mar- the, mar- the market will pay for it. And uh, and will in, in doing that, in, in having a premium price point, it actually helps you uh, from a branding perspective too, to be seen as a premium brand Uh, to have an identity that people want to be associated with. Like, you know, people want to have a A Apple computer or, you know, Dolce, like, it's just, if you have a higher price point, it does nothing but help your, your brand. Um, So aim aim high and uh, talk to customers through your development journey. And if you end up having a lower price point than uh, you originally intended to, that's fine. Just make sure that the economics of it work out from, uh, you know, your, your cost of goods sold.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. That, and I think that's huge. I think that's an amazing point that you bring up. You know, I think a lot of people when they're looking at their business, whether they're taking a product to market or they're trying to troubleshoot why maybe sales, revenue, profit isn't as good as they'd like like it to be, they think, well, I gotta reduce the cost of reduce the cost, and more people will buy. But that's not always the case. And even if it is, then there's a whole other side of the equation of keeping in mind the acquisition costs right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and profit per order, there's a lot of things that you have to juggle as well. And I think you touched on a great point with just branding and positioning a product as a, a premium solution. And um, I think, I think that's huge and a lot of times um, there's the prices and costs are one thing and value is a whole other thing, a whole other conversation, right? And, mm-hmm. and when there's a perceived value with what you're selling or a real tangible value with what mm-hmm. you're selling, people will, will pay if, it's a, if there's a big enough market. And unless you're in an extremely, extremely tiny market, which is rare with direct consumer goods, then, mm-hmm. uh, then I think uh, it's a great point you bring up and maybe investing a little bit more time in the, the product development phase to make sure uh, that there is that, that premium price point. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, man, I I absolutely love that. Um, cool. Let's, uh, let's jump into talking about the marketing and the advertising and all that good stuff that, uh, you know, obviously we've, we've been working on to sell the product and, and, you know, it's, it's crazy, man. I remember when, right when you guys finished the Kickstarter, uh, we, you know, uh, we, we met up and you're like... I think I was that that was right around the time when I when I was still drop shipping products from China. Yeah, and it actually was part of the reason I transitioned into the uh, into the client client work sp- uh, side of things, the agency space. And yeah, I remember I remember we us going to to shoot video at uh, <laughs> at UMD mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know just just la- launching ads. And I think it's so this has been a good run, right? Like so far, it's, you know, over, over a million dollars in ad spend. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and not a lot of businesses can do that profitably. Um, so I'd like to jump into some of the challenges and and really what moved the needle. And we can talk about, you know, seasonality and, Mm -hmm. uh, positioning as well. And I think one of the biggest challenges was a lot to, to communicate how good this product actually feels mm-hmm.
1: has, has mm-hmm. been,
0: was a challenge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, so Ryan, uh, he, he started out with us. I kind of consider Ryan to, uh, he was a part of the, the founding crew of getting this product off the ground because, you know, it, we were in uncharted territory because it's sort of, it was a, it's a novel uh, concept for how to um approach back and muscle pain uh lots of people perceive a suction cup as you know something that holds your christmas wreath on uh, on your your door <laughs> um but little did they know that it's a it's a, a suction system that can support you know over 100 pounds of weight in um, and, and so you know the one of the biggest challenges was we've got this novel product how do we communicate it to people the one the how it works um two why it works and uh three why this is going to be so important to your life um and really the thing, the core value proposition of the product is the fact that it makes your body really accessible so that, you know, you can, it can fit with your everyday life. Uh, It's, you know, it's not too big of a hassle. You don't got to get on the ground at the office to roll on your foam roller. Um, You can stand up, drink a coffee, and it really simplifies things so that, you know, feeling good can be a part of your everyday life. And just figuring out the messaging uh, and working through that and how to explain it to people uh, is, is challenging. And, Furthermore, for our product specifically, it's kind of hard to shoot content for because whenever anyone's using it, they're they're it's behind them, it's on the wall, and they're they're rubbing against it. So there's very limited angles in which you can uh, you can get good shots. So um, there was definitely uh, we, you know as you know it was uh, it was challenging out of the gate, and that kind of um, flows into what what I'll say next is. Um, when you launch a new product, it's it's not just going to you know be like boom you've got it all figured out you've got you've got profitable ads right out of the gate I mean it could happen but it's very likely that uh, you're going to make, need to take a period of time uh, to learn and understand what people react to um, you know what they're engaging with what what words resonate with people and what, what images and what doesn't. Uh, and and that's not something that, uh, typically just comes from intuition. It's something that comes from testing and, uh, and, and really trying to understand your, uh, audience and your target customer. So, you know, as you're going into thinking about launching, uh, a brand and a product through e-commerce, make sure that you're in a position financially to, um, have a little bit of backing so that you can test and you can you, know, you can fail at some things and try, try to get creative with your approach um because you want to be able to r- remain dynamic in that first uh, point of time while you're while you're figuring it out and uh, what the best uh, approach is
0: yeah 100 percent. and obviously with you know paid media especially on social social media platforms they're also creative driven right and it's it's there's not a whole lot of people have such a, first of all, such a short attention span. Mm-hmm. And so being able to hook people in so you can actually give them, hit them with the message and hit them with the value proposition, have testimonials, you should generate content, people explaining how damn amazing this product is. Mm-hmm. Takes a lot of, takes a lot of work. And it's interesting because we've, we've invested a lot of money in, in certain creatives and they've, they've tanked, right? Mm-hmm. And then we've, we've had creatives where shot on an iPhone mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, in an afternoon and it ends up being one of the best performing ads of all times, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think, I think one thing that, one thing on the creative front that remains constant is you, you really need to think, you need to keep in mind that people are not going to be watching your message especially in listening, consuming your content, especially if it looks and feels like an ad, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's different, there's two different conversations we can have, you know, there's, there's the, the branding side where you're showing like on-brand content and um, you know, obviously a lot of the bigger brands are doing it and there's a the performance creative, which is its goal is to drive revenue and drive mm-hmm. return on that ad spend and mm-hmm. oftentimes those they by they can overlap for sure, and you can build different you know pieces into different parts of your advertising strategy. But especially on like Facebook and Instagram, no one's going there to buy. People are going there to be entertained, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's going even more in that direction now. With TikTok has come out and it completely changed the way people kill time and and consume content, right? Like it's there's a ton of entertainment, a ton of education, a ton of like hacks, and you know just like. like hilarious shit on on tiktok Mm -hmm. and and so and that's why when you run ads on tiktok too that are that are clearly clearly look like ads they stand out so much more Mm -hmm. um and i think that that's that's the direction that things are going on all platforms you know you look at facebook coming out with reels um and, and trying to basically mimic their TikTok's platform. Uh, Zuckerberg straight up said TikTok is one of the most effective platforms they've ever had to face. Um, and so that's, you know, like that makes it like iOS, everything that's going on. I think making, first of all, you need, you need a lot, of, you, need, you need to be able to test different things, test volume. And it doesn't necessarily mean you need to invest a shit ton of money in, in content but at least have someone who can constantly be iterating and testing mm-hmm. because small tweaks can make a big difference, especially when you're looking at leading clips and the first thing that's actually drawing people in. And mm-hmm. the second thing that I'll say is, um, user generated content is extremely powerful, but mm-hmm. it needs to be authentic and feel real. And, Absolutely. and that's, that, that's one thing that, um, a lot of people, um, Struggle with is whether they go through different platforms or, you know, recording it themselves. Um, the whole point of user-generated content is to to be a, a review, right? A testimonial, uh, share their experience, and if, it, if it's not authentic, then it stands out with like a sore thumb. And I think that's that's one thing that you guys have done uh, extremely well through the the help of platform like Kohli, and um, is really get a, a large volume of positive feedback and and authentic, positive feedback. You look at the reviews and the reviews are amazing. And that's a testament to what you've built in the product. And, uh, and that that just helps out the marketing efforts so much more. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, Cool. So let's kind of switch directions here a little bit. Um, Talking about, managing a team like you, you guys have a team uh, a pretty lean team internally um and I know speaking from from my experience I, I transitioned around the time that we started working together from doing the kind of solopreneur thing to bring on team members to help out with various tasks and and you know having having teams in-house and one of the one of the the struggles for me was obviously it was it was new it was foreign. I went from um, went from you know just working on my own schedule to all of a sudden you have people looking to you for for direction. And uh, d- did I lose you there?
1: You, you did. I I think I'm still following though.
0: <laughs> okay, sounds good. Um, yeah. So how how how's that been for you? Um, yeah, well,
1: I think uh, team, uh, as you get going, team is the most important thing. Um, if you can find talented people to work with, um, it's, it really makes the, the world of difference if everyone's sort of the master of their own domain. Um, so uh, originally out of the gate, you know, I, I was the solo founder and I was doing Uh, a lot, there's a high volume of things that needed to get done. And I'm a very slow methodical thinker that uh, is challenged by, you know, an abundance of tasks all at once. I more so like to pour my, myself into one thing and really perfect it. But in a startup environment, that's uh, really not the best approach. You need to, you know, move quick. You've got to be willing to make mistakes and settle for uh, imperfection in some, in some areas And so um, for me, uh, it really changed by finding a team member that uh, could manage a high volume of tasks, someone's brain that worked differently than mine. You know, I'd, we started out working together, uh, you know, I'd give him a to-do list uh, for the week and he'd he'd have it done Monday morning at 12 o'clock. And so, you know, my expectations uh, were completely blown out of the water just because, you know, his brain worked differently than mine did. And so what I would say as you're going exploring to uh, building a team is think about what really, really think about what your strengths are and uh, really be honest with yourself and think about what your weaknesses are because uh, when you don't have a lot of capital to hire a big team that does everything um, you need to, you know, really focus on your strengths and get people to come in uh, that, you know, fill in the gaps of your weaknesses. And uh, I think that, you know, that would be my, uh, my biggest recommendation in terms of team development.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that, to add on that, I agree completely, but I also think it's, it's important to have people that <laughs> can kind of be a jack of all trades. Cause obviously when you're starting out, you, you, do, you can't really afford to hire people that can only do one task Absolutely, yeah. and do it really well. And I think that's something that uh you know obviously the team at vertiball has has been amazing for just to keep the team so lean and small um Mm -hmm. and uh but yeah no i i I couldn't agree more i think you know looking at what what your strengths are and like for me for example like i historically have been terrible with organization Mm -hmm. and you know it just so happened that one of our um kelsey our creative director she's on the ball, like similar to what you're saying, like you give her, you give her a list of stuff to do and it's done. And then all of a sudden looking for, for more stuff (laughs) for her to do, you almost got to try and keep up with their product. Yeah. But that's
1: what you need for sure.
0: Yeah. And, and for sure. And it's, I think it's a, something that everyone's kind of got to learn for themselves is, is, you know, your job as a CEO is to make sure all the pieces are working together and that it's efficient and you're moving as quickly as possible. And, um and certainly self-awareness is is extremely extremely important mm-hmm. yeah definitely um yeah dude so you guys obviously uh had the opportunity to go on dragons down
1: mm-hmm. got, the got the deal experience got the deal done yeah yeah when did it. you guys go
0: on what was the date of that again
1: uh september 4th of last year so um yeah we're just a, li- a little over a year out from from that uh that, uh, that was when it was,
0: that was when it was aired or when you guys, well, that,
1: that was when, when, when we uh, went oh, right. to do, okay. the sh- do the shooting for it. So um, yeah, quite, quite the interesting experience. Um, <laughs> you know, I think my, my advice for anyone that's looking to do Dragon's Den, Shark Tank, uh, those types of opportunities is um, it's a really, really awesome opportunity for exposure and for marketing. And I would suggest you, um, first and foremost, approach it from that perspective. Um, in reality, uh, more than, you know, there's, there's so many deals on that show that, you know, they happen on the show, but they don't actually, you know, go through the process of closing the deal after the show. Um, and you can, you, you absolutely can. And it, and it opens up the, the door to go do that. But, it's not like you go on the show and, you know, next week you're signing closing documents. Like you're, there's, you know, months of due diligence process, working with their teams, working with lawyers, um, really formalizing the details on valuation, shareholders agreements, things like that. Um, So my advice to you, um, if you're going into that, is just try to aim for it to be as positive as an experience as possible. The mistake I did, or the mistake I made, sorry, was, I, it was do or die mode for me. I'm like, I'm about to give up a piece of my company. I'm hundred percent ownership of this at this point in time. Um, you know, I need to ha- price it right. Like I want to get the highest valuation possible. Um, and so I knew that it was priced higher than what an investor likely would be willing to pay for it, uh, just on, uh, like numeric, um, standards, mm-hmm. but, um, I wanted to push for it anyways. And I knew that it could result in some conflict. Uh, and you know, I was nervous. I went in nervous and, uh, you know, there was a lot, they challenged it a lot. Luckily they didn't show some of the, the heated debates that, um, went on in the episode. There was quite an abundance, abundance of them. If, uh, if you ever watch it, you'll see me trembling. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, anyways, uh, if you, if you're going to do it, just, uh, aim, like go with a very reasonable valuation that makes sense of, you know, your historical financials. You know, you can add a premium for your, if you have an innovative idea and you have a product roadmap, but uh, just try to aim for it to be a positive outcome because once the, you know, you're know you done on the show, you can renegotiate valuation. Um, like all that stuff can be changed afterwards. So uh, you don't have to think it's, you know, do or die mode and, uh, no, I'm not taking a deal just, uh, you know, aim for a positive outcome would be uh, what
0: I'd suggest. You're not, you're not signing your life away on the, on airing.
1: No, no. On, absolutely on the production not. side. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, for sure. Right on mean, So you guys, uh, obviously launched as verbal, had the one product and recently went through a rebrand to Symbody labs. Um, talking about the rebrand and you know the reason for that um I'd like to get into you know your kind of the thought process that went into that I know it was a big big debate um mm-hmm. whether you know when's the right time to do it and I don't know if there ever is a right time to do it um yeah. but uh but yeah I mean obviously you know it's it's a big decision to make especially when you know you have whatever it is 60 70,000 customers who, who know your brand and um, mm-hmm. and you're looking to to make a big transition like that what was the the thoughts that led to that
1: yeah so um, you know Vertiball was a product uh, and the way i thought about it is like i want to have a brand that someone would wear on on a t-shirt um, you know i want to have a brand that means something to people beyond just the functionality of their products like um, You know, Apple is not like iPad. Like iPad is a functional thing, but the Apple represents something so much more, Um, and that's the true power of branding and the value it can add to your products. Is if you can identify a philosophy that people want to to get behind, like Apple's original philosophy in you know what what when they came out uh, with their Think Different commercial. It was like, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, and, you know, and like so on and so on. And it closes because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. And then it comes up with the Apple logo. They never once mentioned a product, but they defined this character. They defined this, you know, you know, this person that people wanted to identify with like the people that think different. And so the brand became something so much more than any, you know, functional element of a device it became an identity and that's the importance of uh you know going beyond just the product like if you if you're going to try to make a multi product company i think you need to think about you know when you come out with your next product what is the overarching brand going to be and we transitioned uh with the release of the second product so we could make sense of that to to customers, because if we were just Symbody with Vertiball, then it, it's sort of like what I guess, what is the purpose of having two two brand names when we just focus on one for now? And sort of the so the philosophy with Symbody is, you know, human beings, we have this remarkable ability to use tools, and it's what sets us apart from any other species on the planet. To our tools, you know, extend our physical limitations um, and allow us to do, you know, remarkable things. And um, it's the symbiosis between Uh, our tools and our bodies that uh, enables us to reach higher and further than uh, ever before. And so the goal of Simbody is to um, really focus on health and wellness in creating uh, these tools that naturally extend our limitations uh, so that, you know, we can be the best versions of ourselves in every day possible.
0: I love it, dude. (laughs) <laughs> Love you, dude. Always think it's so big, and no, I think that's a that that's awesome, man. And congratulations on on the rebrand. I know it's it's you're kind of in the the weeds of it right now, and I know it's it's a big big move and uh, not an easy decision to make. But I definitely think it's it's the right move, and can't wait for the future for for Simbody. Yeah, um, it
1: should be it should be
0: exciting. Cool, man. Well, I think that's a great place to to wrap this one up. Uh, thank you so much, man, for for agreeing to do this. I think there's a lot of a lot of good stuff for for new founders that they can take away from this. And I think uh, there's certainly you know there's you're only just getting started. And uh, like I said, super excited to see um, where the brand goes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me on and for all the. The founders out there uh, looking to get their product off the ground, uh, Ryan and Power Media were instrumental to our success out of the gate. Uh, we wouldn't be where we are without them. So, um, if you ever need insight or uh, you know, just uh, instruction on what what is the the right approach, definitely uh, give Ryan a ring because he's uh, he's the man in all, all aspects of marketing for sure.
0: Thank <laughs> you so much, man. That means the world. Appreciate it. <laughs>
1: All right, Ryan, thanks for having me on and uh, we'll chat again soon.
0: All right, take care, everybody.
1: You too, bye.